0: Morning, Lakeside. Morning. Thanks for celebrating some Palm Sunday with us. My name is Steve Collard, and I'm one of the teaching team members here. I used to enjoy browsing Facebook when I ate my breakfast every morning, you know, keeping up with uh, my friends, birthdays, special events, pictures of dogs, pictures of grandkids, uh, those kind of things. Uh, one thing really impacted this morning ritual, and it's this uh, thing called the Wordle. Have you heard of it? <laughs> Wordle's a game. It's, it's a puzzle. It's like a daily crossword. And I'm not one of the 300,000 people who play it every day, but a lot of my friends are. And so now when I'm looking at Facebook, I see people talking to one another about how hard the puzzle Everybody has the same puzzle every day. So how hard was it? How, did you figure it out? Or was it too easy? And um, you know, some remark how tough it is. And so it's made it tougher to look through my normal pictures of friends because I'm seeing these pictures on, uh, on Facebook all, all through my, my feed. And then you'll see statements like this. It's with great sadness that I stand before you today and announce that I did not get today's Wordle. Please respect my privacy during this very difficult time. I guess people take it personally. But... When I uh, think of puzzles, I think of my grandma. Her name was Rose Collard. She passed away many years ago, but she was a person I was really close to. And she lived in a different era that most people today couldn't understand. She was born around 1900. She never learned to drive a car. She never owned a television. She never owned a computer. But she loved puzzles. She would have a table set up in her living room with a jigsaw puzzle, you know, with thousands of pieces. And it would take weeks. You could go between visits with her, looking at all the progress she made, the guesswork and testing pieces to make the puzzle come together. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy puzzles. You know, one of the things that you usually need is a lot of time to solve them, and it's very satisfying when you do. And when I was studying about Palm Sunday, Uh, There are many puzzle pieces about this day that that need to fit together. Um, I like puzzle games, but I don't like puzzles when it comes to my beliefs. I like to know what's going on. So when it comes to Palm Sunday, I'm asking, what's going on? I want to know. And so as we study the puzzle of Palm Sunday, we'll see that there is a big idea. Jesus came in a humble way to save us from sin. And put us in a right relationship with God. Palm Sunday is about the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, a day that is often referred to as the triumphal entry. All four books of the Bible that we call the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—they all contain an account of the triumphal entry. They're similar in many ways, but they all add details. Uh, so I'll be referring to all of them, but we're primarily going to look at the account from Matthew's gospel. It's found in Matthew chapter 21. is going to read this as uh, you can see it on the screen as we go through this account of it.
1: I'm going to be reading Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee.
0: Thanks, Lydia. So, when you're working on a jigsaw puzzle, what's the best way, uh, what's the best strategy to get started? Got any ideas? Say that again The frame. The edge, right? The pieces you know. Go for the pieces you know, and then you start to fill it in after that. So that's what we're going to do with this passage. We're going to first look at, well, what do we know for sure? So the first thing we know is that Jesus presented himself in public as Israel's king and messiah. He arranged the details for this triumphal entry. He entered the city in such a way that no one would be able to ignore him. He decides to ride slightly above the crowd into Jerusalem on the foal of a beast of burden. He sent two of his disciples to locate the donkey and the colt that he would ride into Jerusalem. Now, what's significant about the donkey? It was significant because it was part of this key prophecy he fulfilled about the coming Messiah. It was written over 500 years before this day that Jesus came. In verse 4 it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus sat on a colt. The mother donkey walked beside. This wasn't like a Roman triumphal entry, where a conquering king comes in on a war horse with a crown and a sword. The symbolism was that riding on a young donkey is a sign of peace and humility. Now, this is a picture of my niece, Montana, a few years ago. Her family raised this donkey so that she could ride on it when they walked up the mountain in Quebec, where they lived. And uh, she could sit on it and not get tired. That's what you'd imagine using a donkey for. But Jesus rode on a donkey, coming in a humble way. And it was a bold sign that Jesus was revealing himself, unmistakably, as the fulfillment of this prophecy of the coming king and of the Messiah. D.A. Carson referred to this as a deliberate act Of symbolic self-disclosure for those with eyes to see or after the resurrection with memories by which to remember and integrate the events of the preceding weeks and years secrecy was being lifted Jesus is the Messiah the one Zechariah wrote about we go back and look at Zechariah and exactly what he wrote behold Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, this is the first thing we know that Jesus presented himself in public as Israel's king and Messiah. This is our first puzzle piece. Sometimes, all the details about Jesus arranging for that donkey cause us to kind of go in unnecessary. Uh, areas of detail. For instance, sometimes we'll say, well, this is an example that Jesus is powerful, all-powerful and all-knowing. And actually, there's no proof of how he prearranged this. Uh, Making something up like that this was a miracle doesn't strengthen what was happening here. I mean, this is Jesus. They'd already seen him raise people from the dead, heal the sick, He already had fed thousands of people with a few loaves and fish. He'd calmed the thunderstorm. So we don't really need to make up a miracle. He arranged it, though. That we know. That was a key point. Second, we don't have to use this donkey as a role model of selfless service. When I was in Sunday school, you know, it seems like 100 years ago. uh, It was. (laughs) It was. We used to sing a song by a title. There once was a wild little donkey. I kid you not. That's what. And it was about this donkey. And the lesson of the song was uh, that Jesus is able to make you whatever he, he wants you to be. And as a kid, I didn't realize my aspiration was to be a donkey. I, I didn't realize it until <laughs> I got older. We come up with the strangest thing sometimes. We don't need to do that, actually. Because in the story, there are great examples. Great examples for us to follow, like the disciples followed his instructions without knowing what was going on. They didn't know the whole picture, but they did what the Lord told them to do. And that's an example for my life that I don't always know, but I know that the Lord directs me to do something. I should do it. Or maybe the owner is a good example for us who had both the mother and the fool, and when asked for it, readily gave it. Gave what was part of Jesus' plan. And so the main point of this passage is that Jesus arranged for the colt. That's that first point that we know. That this day of secrecy was over, and that the prophecy was being fulfilled, and he came riding on a colt. The second thing that we know is the crowds bestowed honor on Jesus as King and Messiah by their words and their actions. Look back at verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It may be strange to us now, but spreading cloaks was a sign of respect. When welcoming a king, the custom was to lay outer garments on the road along with branches. It was like laying out a red carpet. This is an example from the Old Testament in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. When Jehu was anointed king of Israel, it says this. It says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And as their coats were under his feet, they pledged to submit to him as king. Now, it's John's Gospels account that actually mentions specifically that the branches were palm trees as they went out to meet him. And three of the Gospels mention the greeting, Hosanna. So they greeted him with Hosanna, which means, please save us or save us now. People were repeating phrases from one of the Psalms that we read earlier. And it was known as a Psalm that was referring to the coming Messiah. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They blessed Jesus, saying, May he be blessed. May God's gracious power attend him. They recognized him as he who comes In the name of the lord as god's representative as someone who had god's authority here in matthew in the passage we read he was called the son of david and this is a meaningful title to the people of israel in fact if you go back to the beginning of the gospel of matthew chapter 1 verse 1 it says the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham This was a way of stating that Jesus was coming and linked to King David's line. God promised that one of David's descendants would establish the kingdom and that David's kingdom and throne would endure forever. It's another way of referring to Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, son of David. You know, we often quote the prophecy mainly around Christmas of the Messiah in Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. And the end of the next verse says, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, here's the key, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So calling him the son of David was the same as calling him the king or the Messiah. Luke's gospel says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. In John, the more specific King of Israel is recorded as being shouted. All of these titles, even the phrase, He who comes in the name of the Lord, are titles for the Messiah. You might be thinking, who, who were these people who now gave praise to Jesus as the coming King? Most were pilgrims from Galilee on their way to Jerusalem. They would have been familiar with Jesus and his miracles. Thousands of Galileans had come for the Passover. They had seen his mighty works, heard of them, things such as raising Lazarus from the dead. So we have two puzzle pieces, the easy ones. We know Jesus presented himself in public as Israel's King and Messiah, And then we know that the crowd bestowed honor on Jesus as their King and Messiah by their words and actions. And I think our tendency now, when we look at Palm Sunday, is to rush straight through the week, Easter week, and see how Jesus was betrayed and see the crowds that just a few days later cry out, away with him, crucify him, But I'd like to stay here on Palm Sunday a little longer. There are things we learn by digging a little deeper into Palm Sunday. Good Friday is coming and hallelujah, Easter Sunday's coming too. But let's look for a moment at what we've just read and what is puzzling. So the first difficult piece is, why present himself as King and Messiah now? There's something unique about this time, this day. You know how on television shows they like to take you back in the past a few years, show you the characters in an earlier time, something that happened and that helps you uh, kind of understand something that's going on right now? Let's, let's do that right now. So we're from Palm Sunday. Let's go back three years to the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. There's a story in Luke chapter 4. He has just returned from his wilderness temptation. He's in the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He stood up to read a scroll, and the passage they gave him to read was from the prophet Isaiah. And so this is Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor i mean this is a passage about the messiah verse 20 and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And at first they say, Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, he's nobody special. And so Jesus confronted them with the truth that no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. And then they became angry with him. They rejected him, so much so that they drove him out of the town. They tried to throw him off a cliff, and he escaped. He told them plainly he was the Messiah, but three years before, they were not ready. So now, two years later, we pass through time, and John's chap- John chapter 6 tells us of the time. Remember, Jesus fed 5,000 people where they just started out with two fish and five barley loaves. And after 5,000 of them ate and were full from that, verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. By himself. So they wanted to make him their king a year earlier, really, than Palm Sunday. Time wasn't right. It wasn't God's timing. So that's what's special about Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem announcing that Israel's Messiah had arrived, just as Zechariah had said he would. By mounting that beast, Jesus was. In essence, doing the same thing he had done three years earlier, saying, if you want to know who the prophet was referring to, he was writing about me. I am the Messiah. Why now? Above all, Palm Sunday teaches that Jesus is the king. He has the right to define himself and his reign. And this is a key piece of the puzzle. This was a moment Jesus deserved. The time was right for that. The Pharisees help us see the inevitable plan of God to glorify Jesus on this day, no matter what. Luke 19.39 says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees knew how significant this moment was, and they didn't like it. Because the Pharisees were only interested in praise for themselves. they were only concerned about their own interests. But that day, had the people not shouted, "Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!" Hosanna in the highest," the stones would have cried out, "Jesus is worthy." of worship because of who he is. Palm Sunday teaches us that. Why present him as King and Messiah on this day? It's solved simply by the fact that God desired it. The cross was only days away. It was time for the presentation of Jesus Christ to Israel as the rightful son of David. Nobody really understood the kind of salvation he came to bring. He would go to that cross as the man of sorrows, the suffering Messiah. After he died and rose again, on the day of Pentecost, Peter would preach to Israel again in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Palm Sunday is the pre-crucifixion presentation of the Messiah to the house of Israel. Bible Knowledge Commentary states, all history had pointed toward this single spectacular event when the Messiah publicly presented himself to the nation And God desired that this fact be acknowledged. Why now? Because God desires that we stop. That we stop and see and examine who is is Jesus. He's the one. He was the king. He was the Messiah. Now the second puzzling thing about Palm Sunday is why the different responses from different people? Gospel writers help us uh, have a picture on Palm Sunday that has a lot of different responses, almost feels like there are different endings to the story. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, a whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. In Matthew, they questioned who he was. And when he entered this is from our our passage verse 10 and when he entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred up saying who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee did they really understand he was a messiah maybe the issue was not understanding that he was a messiah but understanding what kind of messiah He wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They wanted a political victory. And that's not why he came. Psalm 118 that we looked at earlier taught us that Hosanna means save now. It's an appropriate psalm for Jesus who came to deliver humanity from sin and death. But they didn't understand that. Carson made another observation. Even where Jesus was perceived however dimly as King Messiah, he was not perceived as suffering servant. It was far harder for them to grasp the inevitability of his suffering and death and the expansion of the people of God beyond the Jewish race. Perhaps the most surprising thing i'd forgotten this when i read the account was in the gospel of john it talks about how the disciples didn't even remember know what was going on it says in twelve sixteen, his disciples did not understand these things at first but when jesus was glorified then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him palm sunday was a puzzle even to his own disciples. And they didn't understand the significance until later. And we've already mentioned the Pharisees, but John's Gospel further reveals their hearts. It says in chapter 12, verse 19, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. It's difficult to see Jesus as king, when you want to sit on the throne yourself. The Pharisees didn't want the world to go after him. They wanted the world for themselves. So some praised, some questioned, some didn't understand, some were resentful or jealous. Why the different responses? What is this piece of the puzzle? Because God wants us to search our own hearts have we accepted Jesus? Have I taken the time to ask, Who is this? Have I realized, like the disciples, that after knowing the rest of the story, Jesus came to save us? Or have I rejected God's plan to pursue something else I want? What's my angle? What's my response? Is there something I'm seeking for myself that's keeping me from seeing that this was God's plan? So, the last part of the puzzle for me is how should I respond to the Palm Sunday story? Which portrait of Jesus is the right one? The crowd said he was a prophet. You know, he said and did some pretty wild stuff, it must have been very entertaining. Do I just see him as a prophet, as a historical figure, a a religious man, yes, but just a man? Is that all this is about, a little bit of history, a thing of the past? Or is my response, like the Pharisees, do do I prefer the portrayal of Jesus as teacher? Some people prefer Jesus as teacher because then they can decide whether they want to agree with him or not. Now they can feel free to disagree with him, to choose about him the parts they like and discard the rest. They choose whether to follow his teaching at all. Do I see him as a great teacher? Or do I ignore all the fuss in Jerusalem that day and ignore Jesus completely? Maybe puzzles make my head hurt. <laughs> or this whole story strikes me as being highly unrealistic there are a couple of verses back in psalm 14 that i always find interesting that it's god showing us his view of our predicament says the lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after god They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Not even one. On our own, we we can't figure this puzzle out. What I realize is the human heart, it's not ready to admit to our sin without also blaming God. We want control more, more than we want redemption. But God, he didn't leave us in this predicament. As author Tim Keller stated, there are supernatural spiritual problems that need supernatural spiritual remedies. And Palm Sunday teaches me that at just the right time, God supernaturally sent Jesus as the lasting solution for our needs, for our deepest needs. And we understand this from Romans chapter 5. A couple of verses there, starting at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Palm Sunday portrait that God wants you and I to see is Jesus the Savior. A personal God who calls out to you and to me and says, I've come to save you. He comes on a donkey, not a warhorse. He comes not to slay his foes, but to die for them. Jesus came in a humble way to save us from sin and put us in a right relationship with god now's the time i want to use the tv program uh, idea instead of drifting to the past to look at the future the bible provides the palm sunday view of jesus from the past we've looked at that today it also provides a glimpse of the future in the book of revelation chapter 7 Verse 9 of Revelation, the Apostle John has a future picture of the throne of God. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you see what they were holding in their hands? Palm branches. And Jesus as the Lamb receiving their praise. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So how should I respond to the Palm Sunday Story, I can accept the salvation Jesus brings. You and I can receive salvation from him. We can know Jesus, the king, as he comes in this age. One day he will come in power on a war hours, But today, on Palm Sunday, we remember he came gently on a donkey. Even though we were his enemies... He did not come to condemn us. He came to save us. He did not come to judge us. He came to die for us. And so I would ask you, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If not, today you can acknowledge that he came to save you. You can submit your life to him. So let's wrap up our Palm Sunday puzzle. What did we know or the easy pieces, Jesus presented himself in public as Israel's king and messiah. The crowds, by their words and their actions, bestowed honor on Jesus as King and Messiah. What's puzzling? Why present himself as king and messiah now? Because the time was right. It was time. Why the different responses? Because we need to have our hearts right. How should I respond to the Palm Sunday story, accepting the salvation Jesus brings? There's also an application for those of us who already know him as our Savior. Am I giving Jesus the rightful place as king of my life? First of all, that might mean I I need to be spending time in his presence Circumstances of life are demanding. We're so easily distracted. Do I need to figuratively take off my coat and lay it down and renew my dedication to Jesus, my King? Do I need to realize that I've been making too much of my life about me when it really ought to be about my relationship with God? It might mean that despite what's ever going on in my life right now, I need to stop and count my blessings. I need to reflect on the fact that God's ordering my life for my good, and I need to allow praise to him to rise up in my heart to my Savior and my long overdue in doing that. maybe the last thing to remember is the definition of worship that we find in romans chapter 12 verse 1 it says i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship think of the disciples who obeyed jesus when they didn't really know the whole story What might Jesus be asking of me today? Some part of his plan for this broken world. He wants me to be part of it. What time or talent or resource might I freely release like the owner of that donkey did? The Lord needs them. Here. That's worship too. This is the last piece of the puzzle because making ourselves available for his purposes, giving back, Of what he has given to us that's worship too and we can worship him by doing those things jesus came in a humble way to save us from sin to put us in a right relationship with god am i giving jesus the rightful place as king of my life let's pray lord thank you for coming humbly and grace, and mercy to us. Thank you, we. We do shout this morning your praise. We thank you on this Palm Sunday that we can again look back at your love for us and your great plan of salvation. And we just own you as our Savior. We pray for any who don't yet know you that today they might come to know you pray that we might all think through if we're truly living with you as the king of our lives
1: we pray this in jesus name